Welcome to the CEC's inaugural weekly update. It's September 3rd and I'm Robert Barwick. Just kidding, just kidding. That was the 3rd of September 2010. Today is the 4th of September 2020. So the Citizens Report, previously the CEC Report, or what we started off calling the CEC's weekly report, is now 10 years old as of today. So um, as you can see, I haven't aged today <laughs> in, in those 10 years. Um, but the, the channel and the CEC's reach has certainly grown in that time. So um, we just wanted to give, uh, you know, inform the viewing public, that our, our loyal viewers, that, it's, that we've reached this milestone today. Thanks for sticking with us. Yep. And I'll now hand over to Elisa for The Real Show. Yes. So for the 4th September 2020 show, I'm Elisa Barwick and Robert Barwick, of course, is here, our Citizens Party Research Director. We have two topics today, debt bomb set to blow, here's the plan to defuse it, and exposed, the foreign takeover plotters in parliament. So firstly today, debt bomb set to blow, here's the plan to defuse it. So we want to talk about a plan to reorganise the unbearable debt that we are being crushed under uh, in today's economy. Uh, speaking in terms both of households, the government, and is particularly actually the banks. Well, it's the debt, and it's also the debt that's crushing the economy and um, pushing us off a cliff into a financial crisis. That's right. And um, September, of course, is a time when you have um, some uh, payments, JobKeeper and other payments being reduced, and also some of the deferrals of mortgages and other loans coming to an end this month. Um, now, just to situate it, I wanted to mention some of the statistics and figures that we're looking at, we're facing here. Australia has the highest household debt to income ratio in the world and the second highest household debt to GDP ratio in the world. Um, I want to mention the latest mortgage figures that are out from Martin North's Digital Finance Analytics and we'll put up some graphs uh, overall mortgage stress is now at around the 40% mark, but some segments which he identifies different categories um, such as young growing families for instance are up to 73% mortgage stress. You have rental stress which is about the same, over 40% in general, up to 74% with young families. Also 25% uh, of investors um, that have mortgages are underwater and trying to sell at the same time, estimates are that a third of all small to medium enterprises may go out of business in the coming period. Uh, and in this context, the Reserve Bank uh, has increased its special term lending facility from 90 billion up to 200 billion. That was announced this week. However, only 1.9 billion of that has been lent out so far. In th these are three-year loans to SMEs with the first six months interest-free. However, some non-banks are on lending this money at over 18% interest this, rates. This is, this is atrocious, Elisa. These are, when, when surveys show that a third of small and medium enterprises expect to go broke, yet the, the Reserve Bank has ponied up this money to the banks to say this is for that kind of lending and, it, and only of, of the 90 billion until they raise it to 200 billion, only 1.9 billion has gone out to them. 
Yeah. Right? These are the role of the banks in putting us in the vulnerable position we were we, to, that made this crisis so bad and then not playing any constructive role in actually fix, helping fix it is criminal. That's right. Now, the banks themselves, speaking of them, I mean, they are uh, very, very heavily indebted and in big trouble as a result, especially as you see uh, the mortgage bubble unwinding and property um, houses starting to come down. So they're holding $400 billion in 90-day loans. There are $373 billion at least in deferred loans, which at some point, much of which may be categorised uh, as defaulted loans or loans in default. 65% uh, of the bank's business is in mortgages. So what we're proposing, we are putting together a legislative instrument to take this whole raft of varying categories of debt and bring it under control. So, Robbie, you've been working on developing legislation yeah. that will uh, defuse this debt bubble. Yeah, because be, be clear, the banks face a catastrophe. It's a definitely a catastrophe for the household, but the banks face catastrophe, right? And something's got to be done. And you can have that catastrophe. You can have our, our banking system, which is the most concentrated banking system in the world, completely crater, right? And have a totally chaotic, deep depression um, with all the consequences that come with that. Or you can face up to the seriousness of the crisis and realise this debt must be restructured and restructured or reconstructed is a nice way of saying a whole lot of it has to be written off, right? But in an orderly way that's just um, for, the, for, for um, everybody involved. So we've long had a proposal for a, a moratorium on foreclosures of uh, family farms and family homes, not investment properties, um, we, you know, it's not up to the government to protect that, but the, but the motive for our foreclosure moratorium is so that people are not forced onto the street. We do not want to see in Australia the, a repeat of the criminality in America in 2008 and 2009 where 12 million Americans were forced by these, these bastard banks that had got, trapped them in debt deliberately, predatorially trapped them in debt, on-sold their mortgages as securities, and when they were in trouble and they got bailed out by the taxpayer unlimited amounts of money, they, they aggressively foreclosed on 12 million Americans were forced out in the street. Go watch the, the movie that dramatised this called 99 Homes. Right? It's, it's a very good depiction of what went, what went on. That was completely unjust. You do not want that. So you've got to... You've got to um, uh, keep people in their homes, but you're not going to protect investment properties, and there's a huge investment property market in Australia. Um, that's not going to be protected. But at, the, but at the same time, the banks are going to be um, in a lot of trouble here. So one of the ways to do this is through um, a reconstruction board that is attached to the Reserve Bank, right? And that's, there, was, there was a bill put up to do this to address it address rural debt back in 2012 and 2013, which Bob Catter introduced, and he worked with an expert at QUT named Dr Mark McGovern. And we want to play a quick clip here of Bob Catter explaining his own experience in the, in the 1980s when he was part of the Queensland government in dealing with a, a debt crisis in sugarcane farmers and how this reconstruction approach worked and how it saved the, farming, the sugarcane industry in Queensland. Every government in Australian history, since the time of King O'Malley, when he set up the Commonwealth Bank, 
every government in Australian history, state and federal, when farmers get into trouble, they have a reconstruction approach. Very, very simple. All they do is they go in and buy the bad debt. The banks, farmers are in trouble. They buy the bank out. They pay out the bank. So if the farmer owes the bank a million dollars, they go and say, Mr Bank, we'll give you a million dollars, and <coughs> we now hold a mortgage. <coughs> this protects the government money because we now hold the first mortgage. If we take a second mortgage, the government is not protected, and almost certainly the government will get none of its money back if you're holding a second mortgage. So we take a first mortgage. Since we are buying a bad or in danger <coughs> debt, I-N-D-A-N-G-E-R, an in danger debt, since we are buying that, we expect a discount. So we buy, for 100 years in Australia, we bought the farm debt, at a discount of 15, 20 per cent in that sort of range. Um, now, I speak with authority because I was the minister responsible for the state bank when the sugar industry in Queensland, our premier industry, our biggest employer at that stage, was still bigger than coal at that stage, um, <coughs> it went down and it went down badly. There was a drop to one third the price of sugar and it stayed down for two or three years. So we had to consider going in. <clears throat> Even there, you don't go in unless the industry is viable. The government should not be in the business of propping up non-viable industries. Um, our cost of production was lower than southern Brazil, so we knew we would be the last man standing. Uh, we had very solid property values. I mean, sugarcane farms are in the super wet belt. <laughs> where it's green, the only part of Australia that's, that's green. Um, and the holiday land, uh, the Ely Beach and, um, and uh, Port Douglas and all of these places. Um, so we borrowed the money, I think it was about two and a half per cent. We loaned out, if my memory serves me correctly, about 700 million. Um, <coughs> we took all the mortgages. And, um, um, and when <coughs> I was told that they had responsibility for the bank, I said, like bloody hell, I'm not taking the reconstruction bank, no way. I'm not taking all the cripples. They said, there isn't any cripples. And when I, I found out, had looked into it, there were only 13 farms that had to be foreclosed on. We had loaned out over a 10 year period to thousands of farms, but there are only 13. And after all, Mr Acting Speaker, if you're loaning the money out at 2.5%, I mean, you're coming down from uh, at the present moment, if you owe a million dollars, you've got to pay the bank every year about $55,000. Well, if they've only got to pay interest only at 2 per cent, then you're coming down to about $16,000. Now, Elisa, what Bob Catter doesn't mention that video, the Queensland government actually made a profit doing that because they were prepared to do what the private banks weren't prepared to do. Um, and as he said, only a few people were, ended up being foreclosed on because these are actually uh, healthy um, industries. They just the banks can the banks can destroy healthy industries otherwise. And in 2013, this bill I was mentioning earlier that dealt with this rural debt crisis, when the people involved were working on that with Bob Catter, they were looking at the debt crisis and they looked at the mortgage crisis, the mortgage debt in Australia, and how that was building up. And they predicted that the mortgage debt crisis would be seven years behind then 
Well, that's now, mm. and that's why we've got to address it now, because it is coming to a head right now. We can talk about more after the break. Yeah, we're going to talk about the national banking component of this solution too. Welcome back to the Citizens Report where we're discussing how to defuse the debt bomb. Now, once we have debt being reorganised and kept under control, we need to get the country back to work and that requires um, national banking, as we've proposed for decades in this country, returning to the principles that the old Commonwealth Bank initially harnessed to build, um, to get us through the war and to build great projects across this nation. Uh, now, last week, Robbie, we had uh, plans to introduce our national bank legislation, but of course there's an entire apparatus um, from the City of London and the Crown on down that has feared such legislation giving this country real sovereignty and power to build and develop itself um, for centuries. And we encountered that last week, so can you go through what happened there? Yeah, so we were going to have a bill put up a, for a national development bank and there's rules of parliamentary procedure that are open to interpretation. But the, the most extreme interpretation of these rules gives the Governor-General totally dictatorial control over every part of Australian life. And of course, that's by giving it to the Governor, giving the Governor-General that control, you're giving the Queen that control. And we've documented in lots of historical stuff, including in this week's um, issue of our Australian Alert Service, how this is the, the, the Crown, the British Crown, is in an ancient symbiotic relationship with the City of London Financial Centre, right? And that financial centre is a financial oligarchy that like to dictate to nations, and they do not like ideas of it like a national bank. So we, we ran into our own form of that in Parliament where the bureaucracy, the officials, um, wide, broadly interpreted the rule to stop Bob Catter from being able to introduce a national bank bill. Now, we're gonna, we'll be able to win this fight with them to a degree, we believe, so that we can at least get some kind of a bill introduced at this time when it's very necessary. Um, uh, but this is something that goes, this, this is a long-standing fight in Australian history, right? And we have had a national bank at times when the Labor Party supported it and they were in government. And we want to play a clip now from, a, there was, in 1988, the ABC put on a mini-series called The True Believers, and it's sort of like, it's the post-war history of Australia, or the immediate post-war history of Australia from a Labor Party perspective, right? But this, is, this was old Labor, and, 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 and to me it's a good perspective. And they dramatised some of these battles, including over banking. And at the time, um, in 1947, uh, Chifley had moved to nationalise the banks. It wasn't his preferred option, but the private banks were determined to stop the Commonwealth Bank doing anything productive. And he said, well, Stuffy, we're going to nationalise you again. And Robert Menzies called it fascism, mm -hmm. right? And Chifley had a, the best comeback of all time to that because it was the truth. Listen, what's this? Mr. Speaker, the present government was elected on a policy which did not contain any part of the banking legislation soon to be inflicted in efficient Nazi style upon, upon the unprepared and unsuspecting people of Australia. Legislation which attacks and threatens the freedom of the individual of this country in classic totalitarian manner. It is legislation which in effect puts a political rubber stamp upon anyone desiring a loan. Which party are you? Then you shan't get the loan. 
leader of the opposition has said that the totalitarianism of Hitler and Mussolini started in the way that this government is acting. May I remind the right honourable gentleman that far from Hitler and Mussolini nationalising the banks, the fact is the banks finance them. Nazism and fascism with their totalitarianism were financed by the banks. That's a communist explanation. Honourable members opposite should study history, even when it disagrees with their prejudices. Or especially when it does. <laughs> How can it be said that in a democratically elected government, which in three years can be democratically dismissed by exercising the powers the people have given it, has become a dictatorship? No, no. It is suggested that because in a great city people may ride only on government-owned trams or use a government post office, they are living under a dictatorship. It's not the same. Sit down. We can't hear you. And cheerfully went on to say, and you can read more about this in the alert, we've got the original Hansard, before the Labor Party came into office, there was a dictatorship in this country, and it was a dictatorship consisting of persons who are not responsible to the people. There are others of us in this House who can remember the circumstances of 1930, when the members of this Parliament and of the State Parliaments and the governments which they had set up were subject to a dictatorship, and the dictators were the private banking institutions. That has been changed. <laughs> That's what they really hated. That's right. And unfortunately, years later, another Labor Prime Minister changed it back, named Paul Keating, by privatising the Commonwealth Bank. So we've got to change it back again by getting a national bank up, right? I really recommend this, that mini-series, Elise, where it's available on YouTube. People can find it called The True Believers. It's, you know, it's a, it's a good insight into that post-war period. Just quickly before we go to a break, there's a, there's a video that we've put up on our Citizens Insight series on this channel um, called Project Iron, Iron Boomerang, where, where Glen Ishwood interviews Shane Condon from the Project Iron Boomerang Consortium about this brilliant development, massive, iconic development project proposal for Australia linking the coal fields of North Queensland to the iron ore reserves of Western Australia through a railway line that where one coal goes one way, iron ore goes the other way, um, uh, supplying steel mills both ends for first grade steel to export to China. This is the kind of project that we'll, we can build a reconstruction of our economy around, mm. right? And, um, so have a look at that and get behind that proposal as well. Yeah, good dose of optimism there. Now we'll be and you right... you can fund it... Sorry, you can fund it with the National Bank. Yeah, that's right. Now we'll be right back to discuss a foreign takeover in progress of this country. Welcome back to the Citizens Report. We're now discussing Expose, the foreign takeover plotters in Parliament. Now, in the last week or so, we've had the announcement from the government that they will aim to um, develop the power through a new foreign relations bill to scrap, they'd be able to scrap any new or existing deals made between Australian state and local governments and universities with foreign countries. Now, this has rather big implications, actually, because, as people widely know, uh, the Australian government can't get calls answered from um, China at the moment, and the only kind of dialogue that is going on is at the local and state levels, and if we burn that, there'll be nothing left. Um, now, Tony Abbott, in the news this week, of course, it's been revealed that he's been given a post at the British Board of Trade to help secure 
uh, a new trade deal between Australia and the UK post-Brexit. But, but for the UK side. Yeah, he's working for the UK to get the best deal for them. Imagine if a, imagine if a Chinese-born Australian ever became Prime Minister of Australia, served as Prime Minister and then went back to China and joined China's <laughs> bureaucracy, how people would be flipping out. <laughs> yeah, we've effectively had that happen with a POM. Yeah, but this is not... The scandal is not in and of that in itself, although they're making a big hoo-ha about it in the UK at the moment, which is funny. Oh, I, but, I'm going to. <laughs> but Tony Abbott has been promoting for some time an alliance called Kanzuk, which is Canada, Australia, New Zealand and the UK, which has a great overlap, of course, with the Five Eyes nations that we needn't mention. Um, but this Kanzuk alliance, um, there's a drive to make it a... Uh, a part of an Anglosphere to revive the old British Empire, so a sphere of influence to promote Western values against China. And one of the Liberal senators who's a member of the Wolverines, James Patterson, wrote an article about this for the Adam Smith Institute. We've written this up in the alert service in detail. And he started his paper by saying, this is a pivotal time in Britain's history. Not Australia, but Britain's history. And he talked about how Britain can define itself as a global champion of free trade post-Brexit and that Australia will welcome the return of a global Britain. What he calls for, as does a, a paper from last year from the Henry Jackson Society, is to use the Australia-New Zealand model of trade and freedom of movement within the entire Kanzuk alliance. So you'd have free trade, visa-free travel, freedom to live or work in any nation and complete standardisation of all certifications for work, regulations and qualifications across borders. So basically getting rid of borders um, across this region at a time when we're cutting off any kind of freedom of cooperation or uh, dialogue at all, or and even trade trying to decouple from China. And it's very similar, Lisa. To think, think about the European Union model, right? Yeah. Which all these people are all anti-EU, and there's good reason for that because it's, it's an assault on sovereignty. So they want, they want that kind of model mm. in that direction between Australia, New Zealand, Canada and the UK. And, of course, it's going to be associated with the United States. Yes. And the irony here, and it's more than an irony, is the people pushing this in, the, in our parliament, so there's got Tony Abbott who's shown his Union Jack underwear at the moment, James Patterson and, and Andrew Hastie is the biggest mouthpiece of this Henry Jackson Society that you just mentioned. The Henry Jackson Society is a British neoconservative think tank, right, that likes... These are the aggressive warmongers in the world, right? They also want us four countries to be one permanent member mm. of the UN Security Council. Yeah. One permanent member. So in other words, we lose all our diplomatic sovereignty, foreign affairs sovereignty, because we have to work as part mm. of this arrangement. This is the British Empire reborn, but even more so because this is like this is a proposal in the 1930s called a thing called Imperial Federation, where we don't have any independence at all. We're all operated as a, as a federation under Britain, right? Yet these two clowns, Andrew Hastie and James Patterson, the parliament, they call themselves the Wolverines. They're, they're, they're the pets of Britain and the United States in, in our parliament, and they claim that they're there to fight for our sovereignty, they're plotting to give up our sovereignty to this. Mm -hmm. And they're fooling everybody because they're saying, look over there, look over there. China's a threat. China's a threat. China's a threat. China is one thing to Australia. It's a customer. That's all it is. It doesn't make any other demands from us except that of a customer. And if we're going to be rude to it, it's going to take us business elsewhere or whatever. 
But these people want to have real say over us all the time. They own most of us, and that's who these clowns are working for. And this is happening now. Yep. Read the details because they explicitly discuss integrating our military and our diplomacy, and it's right there in black and white. Now, that's what we've got time for. Call us for more. Thanks for tuning in. See us next week. Thank you.